There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie! Yeah, we're gonna be a movie! Starring everybody and me! There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. And we are going to start right here. Hello, you are listening to a Rattledgen Broadcasting premiere podcast triple feature. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And on the marquee tonight, Ladies and gentlemen, finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, we are doing something new and exciting here. A few weeks ago, Robert Winfrey and I did three, we ascended, we talked about three Oscar-nominated or Oscar-worthy winning films, and we are continuing in that trend, we are doing things outside of the neckbeard box, we are doing looking at three musicals currently on streaming services. First, from Lin-Manuel Miranda, Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. And then the uh, uh, everybody uh, everybody's talking about, I keep getting that name wrong. Everybody's talking about Jamie from Amazon Prime based on the British musical and an airing, uh, a taping of Diana the musical currently on Netflix. And I am joined, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited about this, by musical theater player extraordinaire, straight from the stages, far and wide, Elizabeth Faust. How do you do, madam? Oh, I am doing just fine. Thank you. That was quite an introduction, Mark. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like William Shakespeare in like first night. You know, I, I got I to gotta play you up. Make good. You. I like it. I, I feel yeah. good. I feel bolstered. So if you uh, have been with us for a while and you may, you may or may not remember Elizabeth, she and my wife did the feminist perspective of Black Widow. And she's back again. She got bit by the podcast bug. And I said, you know what? I have been dying to talk about these musicals. And none of the people I work with, except one, <laughs> even watches musicals. And she was not interested in these three. So I was like, I'm going to call on Elizabeth here. Elizabeth, you're my hero tonight. You, you answered Aww, the call wow. when I said, <laughs> we need to talk about these musicals. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, I am happy to do this for you. I'm excited. I'm I'm glad that you challenged me to watch some things right now that I probably would have waited and watched later. And um, I also watched them all pretty consecutively, too. So I'm glad that I've put them all on my my list of shows I can check off. So let's get into first, I, you know, I, I described you as musical theater extraordinaire and all of that. Tell us a little bit about about your musical theater background. Sure. So I am a classically trained vocalist um, and I have a degree in vocal performance, not a music or music education degree, but a vocal performance degree, uh, which includes the theater production and performance element of drama performance or dance performance, but specifically focusing on the area of voice. Mm -hmm. um, I have been in, I don't know, 100 shows in my lifetime from youth theater really? to college theater to high school shows. Um, and I have played everything from Sarah and guys and dolls to, you know, 
dish number four in Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also have a, a specialty degree from Juilliard through the Morse mm -hmm. Teaching Artist Fellowship. Um, and that was finished that program uh, almost two and a half years ago now. Um, I've trained in music and performance education at Carnegie Hall. And wow. um, yeah, and I spent the last, I've spent the last five years as director of musical theater at the Jansen Dance Project. Um, I have since moved on from that and I'm focusing on my teaching career now, but always still a theater enthusiast. That's fantastic. I had a lot of that. I had no idea about, you know, for, for, Admittedly, for the longest time, you were just my wife's friend. But um, yeah, but no, that's an impressive career you've got there. Um, oh, what are some you. of your What are some of your favorite musicals? Which ones? You know, musicals are not all created equal. Some, you know, some are better than others, and there's different types. What are some of the ones that stand out to you? Is like, hey, if I could watch only two or three musicals in the world, these would be the ones I'd focus on. Well, I'm a super cliche white female who really it, loves the classics. <laughs> um, I am a I am a Sherman Brothers and Rodgers and Hammerstein girl. I love, mm -hmm. I love the sound of music. My very favorite show is The King and I. Um, really? I hmm. love. Oh man, uh, that, that's so hard when you said like just a few that I really love. I like the classics. <laughs> I go to Carousel and mm -hmm. um, Sound of Music are probably my top two favorite. I love Guys and Dolls. I love Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. um, if I'm looking at more modern or contemporary musicals, I did see Book of Mormon live in New York City. It is uh, it is extraordinarily unique. I would not say it's one of my favorites, but it's definitely one that I'm glad that I saw. I've also, mm -hmm. um, I'm a big fan of Ain't Too Proud. I saw that live in New York as well. Um, and I love the Alanis Morissette musical Jagged Little Pill. Um, it Wait, is what? I do love it. I love it I so much. It, I didn't know it existed. That's amazing. Oh, oh, it's still running on Broadway. So the music is, it's very Mamma Mia, where they mm -hmm. took Alanis Morissette music to a story of mm -hmm. young people. The covers of her music are phenomenal. Like, unbelievable. She's one of the music producers in the show, so she... Mm -hmm. Uh, wrote in the additional harmonies. Anyway, it's phenomenal. So I am trying to continuously be open-minded about new and contemporary musicals. Um, I would not say that I am a lifelong Rent fangirl. Okay. However, when I was in college, um, Anthony Rapp and Adam Pascal were touring in Rent for the last time, and they came to Tampa. And through somebody who knew somebody, I got really, really good tickets, like five or six rows back on the floor. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I had ever seen Rent live. And it had those two original cast members in it. And I went with someone who was an extraordinarily close childhood friend. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a deeply meaningful experience. So watching Tick, Tick, Boom and seeing this story of Jonathan Larson was significant to me because while I would not consider Rent one of my very, very favorites, I would consider mm -hmm. seeing it live um, a truly kind of, you know, long-term memorable experience for me. So I grew up on Long Island, New York, and mm -hmm. I had a father who was very much into musicals. So I grew up with my mom who listened to 50s music, the doo-wop, 
era and my dad who listened to musicals and that's how i got raised um movies and music those were big in my house so um and also having living just a scant 45 minutes away from midtown manhattan saw a lot of broadway musicals and off-broadway stuff um some of my favorites um on and off i've seen uh i've seen les miserables because i feel like who hasn't if you're into musicals especially if you live in new york city uh, I can't remember if I've seen Cats. I know I took Lily to go see the movie, which is a whole other experience. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, and I, but we I don't actually have tickets I... to take Caroline to see Cats in St. Petersburg in December for the first oh, time. Oh, that's I'm fantastic. Not sure that. uh, I took a date to go see A Christmas Carol and the same, I think I took the same date to go see Rent. Um, Jekyll and Hyde, that was another one that I saw. Uh, here in Tampa, I, um, not the Book of Mormon. Oh, Spam a lot. That's the one that we saw here. And, you know, like, I, for the most part, I enjoy musicals. I, I know that uh, we, you had a very controversial opinion about the Amazon Prime musical Cinderella. I <laughs> did. I felt like the world was against me here on Cinderella. Wait, wait, till heard, see, wait, wait till you see Eternals and speak out loud that you like that movie and you, if you want to see you're against the world. <laughs> well, uh, well, I am looking forward to that. I was supposed to go see it a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago, but I think we're actually going to go see it this week. Um, with the the Cinderella movie, I was actually sitting mm -hmm. at a high school football game like a week after I had seen it. And one of the moms mm -hmm. was like describing it to her sister. And she was like, I don't know the music and it's just bizarre. And I just remember kind of like <laughs> glaring at her from where I was sitting. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you are closed minded. You, mm -hmm. ugh, you are what is wrong with the world. So I'm going to tell you this, and then we can move on, uh, move, move into talking about Tick, Tick, Boom. But uh, you know what one of my favorite musicals of all time is? And this is a very Mark answer to a very Mark question. My One of my favorite musicals of all time, The Wiz. Really? Yes. Like the film version or like a live version? No, the film version. It's the only- Like that's Michael the only Jackson. I know. Yes. Okay. And uh, like Diana, Diana Ross, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love The Wiz. But I, okay. I grew up in an, for, for the first 12 years of my life, I grew up in an African-American community. And that might have been the only Wizard of Oz I saw for the longest time. I, that well, that might have been the really, first version. The Wiz is really phenomenal to do live mm -hmm. because there's so much artistic creativity. Um, quite a few years ago, the New Tampa Players did a version of the Wiz. And they had mm -hmm. all these professional dancers in it. And they actually made... The dancers, the Yellow Brick Road, they had these really incredible costumes. And so mm -hmm. then when the dancers lined up, it gave the presence of the Yellow Brick Road. So I have so much respect for the Wiz because it it just allows itself to artist interpretation. And it allows yes. directors in something as small as community theater all the way up to Broadway to do what they want to do with the show. So I, I can always dig that. So over the summer, your family and mine, we went to go see In the Heights together. Mm -hmm. And you had opinions. <laughs> um, you heard our review of In the Heights. You heard me and Alexis and my kids briefly oh, wow. talking about it. And, you know, Alexis and I, and we're going we're gonna to slide this right into Tick, Tick, Boom, uh, which is also directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, that's the connection here. But you, uh, we, we were pretty kind on In the Heights. I mean, we had some things to say. And I remember talking to you after, the, after you heard the review. And you were like, I hear what you guys are saying. But here's the problem. And your head spun around and pea soup came out and you were like, let me tell you about yourselves and in the heights. So in 50 <laughs> words or less, you want to you want to excise that demon for me? Yeah. So um, I am a Lin-Manuel Miranda fan. I don't mean to mm -hmm. imply that I'm not in any way. Um, I had the privilege of seeing in the heights 
live on stage and mm -hmm. I don't think the movie did it justice. Mm -hmm. um, I also think there was a great deal of hype surrounding that film. And yeah. so, you know, there were just some, as with all theater productions that are turned to film, because this is how I feel about Rent too. Mm -hmm. I was just telling your wife last night, like, don't let Lily watch Rent without seeing it live on stage first. It's not right. the same. And there were a number of things in, in the Heights that were just better on stage and sure. the way they were done in the film sort of took away from the theater magic, but that is the nature of recreating a show, you know, for the small screen or whatever. Right. Um, you know, it, I don't, there, there is great value in, in the Heights because it, it represents an underrepresented population in entertainment. So well, I you mentioned the word hype. that's why it got the hype that it would have. This was, if right. this was in the Heights, and it was, you know, the heights of a very white neighborhood, it wouldn't, it, it, A, would not have been looked upon no. so kindly and forgiven for its for its faults as it was. Um, but that's the thing, you know, this was supposed to be a, a cultural representation of an underrepresented culture. And so it gets unfairly served its elevated. purpose. If that's its purpose, then it served right. its purpose. Yeah. So, but, but it, I'm it not, yeah. It, I agree with you, it gets unfairly elevated in people's minds. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, you know, you, you pair it against other musicals and you say, you know, and it gets forgiven for faults that it has because people want to say nice things about it. And I think that's that's the yeah. real struggle with reviewing anything is there's always an agenda. Um, so you saw tick, getting into Tick, Tick, Boom, which is about uh, the guy that wrote Rent. Um, you saw the live before we get into the actual movie itself. How, in your mind, how does the stage performance of Tick, Tick, Boom compared to the movie? So I, the only part of Tick, Tick, Boom that I've seen live are clips that are on YouTube. Okay. Um, okay. I've never seen the full production of Tick, Tick, Boom, but I have listened to the music before, which I was really pleased to see that all of the original Jonathan Larson music were included in this film version. Um, mm -hmm. I was a little concerned that there was going to be some Lynn Mel manuel Miranda interpretation um, and Did a little bit of bust out of the rap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or some, I don't know, or some version of that like hidden beat that he uses mm -hmm. pretty consistently, which okay. is great. And that's him. That's, that's his, his sure. species of music. But I was relieved that that did not, that didn't impact this film at all. Um, yeah. And this I, I knew a little very rock opera like it was. Did you do you were you familiar with Jonathan Lar Jonathan Larson's story or no, made that? The, uh, no, I came into this completely blind. I knew uh, this got before it got aired on Netflix. This was already getting some Oscar boom, some Oscar um, mm -hmm. buzz. So um, and it had been, you know, and I follow the list of movie releases months before anything's out. So I knew I, I was aware of it and I knew it was something I was going to want to talk about because Lynn, because because of Lynn manuel Miranda, he's attached to something. It gets, you know, people are talking about it, but right. that was all I knew. Right. So um, I knew just being a nerdy theater kid, the story about Jonathan Larson and his, mm -hmm. I think it's an aortic dissection, but his very tragic death the night mm -hmm. before Rent's off-Broadway opening, which I think is part of what adds to the obsessive culture around Rent is this mm -hmm. idea that he won all of his awards and accolades for this show following his death and the like yeah. agony that we who are left here on earth feel when that happens to someone sure. um very much like heath ledger who was loved and well received but became this this icon obsessed over you know following the latest one chadwick boseman 
Yes, he was a fine exactly. actor and certainly an icon because he got to be in a Marvel movie that everyone likes, but mm-hmm. you know, also died. Magnified. And then somehow, right. Yeah, and, right. All right. Yeah, so, and, and you know, tragedy does that to us. It, it magnifies mm-hmm. our feelings and it, it um, stimulates our memories differently. And so for a lot of people, especially people who saw Rent when it originally emerged in the 90s, I think mm-hmm. they're deeply connected to Jonathan Larson in the same way that they're connected to the show. Um, mm-hmm. I will confess. So I was born in 1987. I'm 34. <laughs> I don't... I knew you were going to do that. So I... I lived my childhood through Mm. the AIDS epidemic and I don't, I think you and I talked about this once before. I don't have any memories of New York and Times Square before it was this beautiful trap that it is. Right. Right. So for me, rent has always been very abstract um, Mm -hmm. and it has taken my adult life to understand and appreciate what's happening in that show. What I liked about Tick, Tick, Boom is it felt like this prequel to Rent. There were these Mm -hmm. teeny tiny subtleties hidden throughout Tick, Tick, Boom that gave us like sneak peeks of what he was going to write in Rent. And I loved that so much because I felt like it helped me to understand the show and his intentions even more. Yeah. The movie is absolutely laden with foreshadowing, which is actually both one of the things I liked and a criticism I have of it. So let's get into it. Sorry, so the plot of this thing, I'm going to try to speed read through this. 1992, gosh, I was in high school at the time. <laughs> Jonathan Larson performs his rock monologue, Tick, Tick, Boom, in front of an audience at the New York Theater Workshop, accompanied by friends Roger and Caressa Johnson. He describes an incessant ticking noise he hears in his head and begins telling about the week leading up to his 30th birthday and his desire to become a successful musical theater composer. Uh, in 1990, Jonathan juggles work at the Moondance Diner in Soho while with preparing for a workshop at Playwrights Horizon of his musical Superbia, which he has been working on for eight years. He has a party at home with friends, including his former roommate, Michael, who left acting for advertising, his girlfriend, Susan, a dancer turned teacher, and fellow waiters, Freddie and Carolyn. Well, alone later, Susan tells Jonathan about a teaching job at Jacob's Pillow and asks him to come to, uh, ask him to come to. Uh, Jonathan visits Michael at his new Upper East Side apartment, celebrating his financial success and higher quality of life from their old apartment. Ira Weitzman, the musical theater program director at Playwrights Horizon, asked Jonathan to write a new song for Suburbia as the story needs it. This troubles him, as his idol Stephen Sondheim told him the same at the uh, ASCAP workshop some years ago, but he can't come up with anything and he only has a week. Dun, dun, dun. Jonathan tries to get his agent, Rosa Stevens, to invite Sondheim to the workshop, but eventually just cold calls Sondheim and others. He watches PBS's Sunday in the Park with George, with Michael and Susan, and afterwards, Michael asks him to join an advertising focus group to earn extra money. Susan also pressures him again to move uh, to move with her, although he feels his career is just starting in New York. The next day, he imagines the diner full with Broadway stars. Carolyn tells him uh, Freddie... T- Carolyn tells him Freddie, who is HIV positive, has been hospitalized, adding to Jonathan's anxieties, as many of his friends have already died in the HIV-AIDS ep- epidemic. He walks down Broadway to Playwrights Horizon for the start of rehearsal for Superbia. Susan, frustrated as one might be by Jonathan's indecisiveness, breaks up with him. To get money to hire a full band for the workshop, Jonathan attends advertising focus groups. Making a good first impression, he considers a corporate future, but realizes he would hate it and deliberately sabotages it. Michael criticizes him for being in a financially unstable theater career, while Jonathan claims with his impending 30th birthday that he's getting too old to be successful. 
After finally getting an encouraging call from Rosa about the, his industry invites, he plans to write the new song the night before the workshop. <laughs> but his power gets cut off. There's a flood. The dam breaks. <laughs> Just everything happens to this poor guy. Heading to a swimming pool to cool off. Uh, he pictures sheet music lines on the on the, pour, the pool floor, which was a very Lynn Miranda move, by the way. And we'll talk about that. And finally comes up with the new song, which he writes out by hand. At the workshop, our friends, family, and industry professionals, including Sondheim. Teresa brings down the house with the new song, Come to Your Senses, and Jonathan imagines Susan singing it. He receives praise, but no, no offers to produce suburbia. Uh, Rosa tells him he must keep writing, hoping that something will succeed, but he will likely face more rejection. Discouraged, Jonathan runs to Michael begging for a corporate job and perceived stability, but Michael changes his mind after seeing the workshop, encouraging Jonathan to continue in musical theater. When Jonathan accuses him of not understanding what it's like to be running out of time, Michael reveal, reveals he's HIV positive. Finally, grasping his career obsession has cost him his relationship with Susan and jeopardized his friendship with Michael. Jonathan wanders through New York before finding himself at the De La Court Theater in Central Park. Hopping a fence to a piano, he reflects on his friendship with Michael and, and the sacrifices he must make, affirming he will continue his musical career, theater career. He and Michael reconcile. On the morning of Jonathan's 30th birthday, Sondheim calls congratulating him on the workshop and wanting to talk more about superbia. Lifting his spirits, holding his birthday party at the Moondance Diner, attended by friends, he is relieved to hear Freddie is to be discharged from the hospital. Susan gives him blank sheet music to help in his career, promising to see the next one. She narrates that the next one was Tick, Tick, Boom, before he returned to work on a previous project, which became Rent. She reveals he died of an undiagnosed aortic aneurysm the night before Rent's premiere off-Broadway. Off he never experienced the success he desired, but his work lives on. In 1992, Jonathan performs the final song, Tick, Tick, Boom, watching his friends and family in the audience, including Susan in the back. All right. That was a lot. Um, yeah. So we can just kind of go back and forth on this, because I do have one criticism about the ending. But first, I want to say something positive. Andrew Garfield needs, at the very least, to be nominated for an Oscar, and I would not be surprised if he won it. I he um and again, you are talking to one of the one one of the comic book neckbeards out there, and we all hate Andrew Garfield because of his performance in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Yeah, but he uh, <clears throat> unfairly maligned. He is a revelation. He is an amazing actor. He does so much with his body, and this is not a particularly physical role, but. It's one of those where um, you can tell how invested he was in crying, not just playing a dude, but really creating a character with the way he talked, the way he moved on stage. And I really enjoyed as a narrative device, as a framing device for this movie, the shift in perspectives from him performing Tick, Tick, Boom and him actually living out his life leading to those events. Uh, I thought it kept the movie... Uh, upbeat and going and, uh, and you know moving forward and I was you know for for a movie that doesn't have a lot of you know action in it it's, it's a drama essentially um, I thought uh, this was a very gripping tale I mm -hmm. uh, really really enjoyed this what do you think of Andrew Garfield yeah so I think uh, I feel the same way about Spider-Man mm -hmm. um, I think he's got <laughs> a bad rap that can't just he just can't shake it off but he's no. been in a lot of really phenomenal films since then um, and so I think if you pay attention to him at all, which I did not prior to this mm -hmm. movie, um, that he has this in him, I think, uh, to kind of tag on to what you're saying here about the character creation, you know, he, he's in an interesting spot as an actor because the character 
is a living being who existed mm -hmm. in the lives of many people who are still living. And so he is tasked with behaving in a way that's not exactly mimicry. I mean, he really has to put on the skin of someone who existed. Um, right. And he has to study those mannerisms and the inflection of that person's voice and create the realest and truest representation of that person who is so idolized and so obsessed over in the musical theater community. Um, mm -hmm. So I would imagine that that was a lot of pressure for him. I also read um, that somewhere between this film beginning production and the last film that he was doing that his own mother died. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine the personal emotional weight that he was carrying while he's creating this kind of art over someone who also has lost their lives. So um, I agree. I think he's a really exemplary fit for this. And I think he, um, yeah, yeah. I think he definitely deserves some credit. I, you know, I'm not good at like predicting what does or doesn't deserve like Oscar buzz. Um, but I think it's a really valuable performance and I think it's something that was significant and meaningful in the musical theater community for sure. What I really want to get your take on is how did you feel about the music in this, in the sense of, um, I mean, they were all entertaining songs. I don't think anyone listening to this, unless you just don't like musical theater or you're not into rock and roll, you know, can yeah. hear this and goes, eh, I don't really like this. What I want to get from you is, you know, judging it against its peers in the modern musical uh, theater, um, arena, how did it stack up? You know, did you, with these kind of like so he average... has a sound, yeah, like in the same way that that it's interesting. So, like, Sondheim was Larson's mm -hmm. inspiration, Larson was a huge inspiration to Miranda, and each of the, those three composers has a completely different but entirely recognizable not just sound, but production quality that they create that goes with their mm -hmm. shows. Um, you know what you're getting when you're getting Sondheim. You know what you're getting when you're getting Rent and Boom. It had a very similar sound. So if you look at today's modern musicals, if you listen to the music of like Dear Evan Hansen or even the music of Jagged Little Pill, even though most of that music is from the, the 90s, mm -hmm. it's produced in a very radio-friendly way. And sure. Jonathan Larson's music isn't. It was a little bit more 90s grunge. Mm. Um, it has a little bit more of that like pop rock feeling to it. Like not quite Nirvana underneath, but there's definitely some edge to what he's writing. Um, and you can see in the film that he used an electric keyboard to write a lot rather mm. than um, an upright piano, partly I would imagine because he lived in a crappy New York City apartment and getting a piano up six flights of stairs in a walk up is like impossible. But so um, I got to I, I gotta tell you, I know this is probably not your thing, but if you want to see something very similar, but a different style of music, second season of Wu-Tang and American Saga focuses on the RZA writing the entire uh, Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers album on said electric uh, keyboard and saving uh -huh. all the music on floppy disks and yeah like that's the connection you just made for me so yeah so larson the rizza same guy <laughs> <laughs> well it's definitely like the same concept right like this idea that what you're what you're using as your medium mm -hmm. impacts what you're creating just the yes. way that a, you know a visual artist using oils or pastels versus using watercolors it's not going to create the same sound so he has a very jonathan larson sound they use all of that music in the film 
what I liked was the way that the, the music from his stage production of Tick, Tick, Boom wove sort of seamlessly between scenes in the film and then the recreation of his live performance. Mm -hmm. I had some, speaking of Caressa, I know you mentioned her earlier. Um, that is played by Vanessa Hudgen, Hudgens, mm. Hudgens, Hudgens from yeah. High School Musical. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had a problem. Like I was so pleased and so in love with the first 15 minutes of this film. And then I saw mm. her and I thought, Oh no, this is going to ruin it for me. But she does so well. She's such a small part and she's mm -hmm. such a talented vocalist. Um, she does do justice to his music and she does do a fantastic job of sort of just playing that role and not being this like ostentatious Disney character. I expected her to be in sure. the film. Every um, time so I looked really at her, every, and I know this is supposed to lead to him writing Rent. This isn't him writing Rent. But every time I saw her on screen, I wanted her to break into Would You Light My Candle? Yeah. Which, speaking <laughs> of, you mm -hmm. were when you were reading the synopsis, you were talking about that scene where his power goes out right before yeah. his showcase. Mm -hmm. And he stands in the kitchen and lights a candle, a single candle. Right. So th there's, so, I mean, there's just so much of this that is a prequel to Rent. That was intentional yep. and cool, I thought. I uh, I want to talk about the visual um, the uh, visuals I, and I thought about this within the heights why I made the snarky comment that I made he's in the this didn't feel like a Lin Manuel Miranda joint until the pool scene and when he's and it's a yeah. cool visual like I don't I don't want to knock it because it does work it is very cool but if there's yeah and it's the only one that's like that it's the only right. scene like that in the whole film. But if one could call in Manuel Miranda kind of hackneyed, you know, like he's got a gimmick, it's that. It's his, it's his conceptual. Those are fighting direction. words, Mark Radulich. People will come for you. I, that's, the Marine Knights will come for you. That's fine. Bring it. I uh, fight me, bro. Um, <laughs> but I, I cannot, I cannot ignore what I see with my own element eyes, and he, he just does. The, he, you know, he, he brings an environment to life. And he inter inter uh, woves it with the um, with what's going on in the song, with the theme of what's what's happening in that particular scene. But when you see it in like in the Heights, and I'm sure this happened. I'm sure if there's ever a film version of Hamilton, muskets will get up and dance or something. You know, there, there's gonna be something like that. And it's like every time I see it, I'm like, that's, that's the one thing you lean on, huh, bud? You know, and it and it's yeah. it, look. I, I will. I'm gonna take your hand and I'm gonna bring you into my world for a moment, like. There's a thing that you see people do in wrestling, and it's kind of a hackneyed, you know, thing that people fall onto. But it's but it's there for a reason, and it works, and people like it. And so wrestlers do wrestlers keep doing it. And so same thing in film, musicals, whatever. There are just certain tricks, certain things that people do that work. But I I, I couldn't help but call them on it. I was like, ah, I've seen that. I've seen you do that before. You do that in all your stuff. What I think he's doing is. Mm -hmm. He is attempting to visually represent the artistic process of songwriting. Sure. And I don't mean like sitting down with an acoustic guitar lyric songwriting. I mean, true modern composition on a grand staff with multiple parts happening in your head. Right. It takes a profoundly gifted human being to be able to do that well as well as he does it and as well as jonathan larson did it and, and i and, believe you because i've seen the big bang theory where they have to show sheldon thinking about math 
and physics. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's mm-hmm. A, not this. B, it's a, you know, it's a one or two camera sitcom on a stage. It's just a flat shot of him staring at a whiteboard. Which, yeah. you know, it works for the Big Bang Theory and it works for that character in that scene. But but that's what it is. And, and as a dynamic visual experience, you're just watching a dude stare at a board. It's not the most fun thing to watch. So I, I do understand what you're saying. Yeah, I think that's what he's doing. And I think um, he's figured out how to do that. And I think he knows that he gets a positive reaction to those mm-hmm. scenes. Because sure. if you watch the trailer, that scene ended up in the trailer. Because it is it is visually very stimulating. It is the but musical I do agree theater version of... It is the musical theater version of Batman punching somebody repeatedly and, 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 and guys screaming, yes, more Batman punching or the Batmobile <laughs> bursting out of fiery flames and the penguin going. Oh. Yep. It's Batman that peak like, clinical moment that he needs. Yes. Um, I will right. say that I, I, I saw a little bit of him in mm-hmm. the Moonlight Cafe scene with all of the cameos in it. Yeah, talk that about that. Because, because Melissa was yeah. on the phone with you at that point, and she was like, "Who are all these people?" And so I, I feel oh, yeah. like if we t- if we if we don't get this out, I'm gonna never forgive myself. So talk about the scene with the cameos and who all those people were, besides Felicia Richard. So like he's in that scene. Lin Manuel yeah. Miranda's in that scene cook. as a cook. Yeah. But I mean, you have, uh, I, oh, gosh, you have so many people. Um, one of the people who's in it who stands out to me, who will not stand out to other people, is Joel Gray. As I mentioned, I'm a mm-hmm. classics person, so Anything Goes is one of my favorite shows. Joel Gray was in Anything Goes on Broadway. Um, he's like one of the elderly guys sitting in a booth. Um, I can't think of what her last name is, but Rashida, she plays the Mrs. Huxtable, the mother yeah, of Ra- Cosby. Felicia Rashad. Felicia Rashad, thank you. Yeah. And um, she's in that scene. I mean, it, it is... Two of the three Schuyler sisters from Hamilton are in that scene, including Philippa Sue, who's in that scene. Mm-hmm. So, and there are just a lot of sort of quiet Broadway stars that are also kind of hidden in there as well. Um, and that felt very him to me because in in the Heights, he folded in a number of his friends into those roles too. It's kind of his yeah, thing. So the all stars. Um, yeah, exactly. All right. So his favorite list. Yes. Last thing I want to talk about, and then we'll move on to everybody's talking about Jamie. Um, I did not love the ending, and here's what I'm talking about specifically. So this movie, as a theme, deals with uh, time running out on you. You know, the feeling of getting older. What does, you know, if you have pursued success in anything and have not achieved it, and, you know, and you and you place a lot of importance on certain place, you know, certain age, 30 in this particular case, how that what might make somebody feel. And I think the movie deals with all of those themes great. You know, um, I really, I enjoyed the story we were telling about a guy who's grasping that seemingly at the last strands of becoming successful and sacrificing everything and not always making great decisions because of it. All of that really, really worked for me. And so you're getting these parallel tracks. You're watching it all happen, but he's also telling you about it in the performance that, th- that this part of his life uh, mm-hmm. influenced and developed right mm-hmm. and so the movie is called tick tick boom right and i feel like when we get to the end when we get to and then i wrote tick tick boom is where it should have ended the coda of sorts there was two things about this that didn't work for me um and you can yell at me about it but i, I it just it bothered me because even melissa was like what is wrong with you why didn't you like this but i 
getting to the point where he's like, I've, I've created this superbia thing. Nobody wants it. What is, what am I to do with my life? If I am not writing musicals, am I any good at this? You know, and that drives him to do tick, tick, boom. And that's the end. That is the story. These failures produce this great success. That's the narrative. And that's where the movie should stop. In a in a Wait, title is card. Is the great success tick tick boom, or is the great success rent? Well, hang on, that's what I was getting to. Um, in a in a title card at the end, and then he wrote rent, and it was a smash, and then he died. You know, like fine in a title card, but the narrative of the movie ends with you know the the life that produced tick tick boom and the end of the show tick tick boom meeting at a point. Mm-hmm. The way they do it. And this is what I have the problem with is we don't really get that. The last couple of minutes of this movie is that narration, which I hated. It was like an, I feel almost feel like it was a note, a studio note of some kind and an ADR line after the fact, like it just doesn't fit. It's just like, and you know, do you mean the part that Susan's narrating at the end? Yes. Now all of that. Okay. That's what I'm complaining about is we get, to, we get him to this point, And the next thing that should have happened is, you know, is, is him seeing like, you know, this real is it, you know, because she, she tells him, write what you know next time. And there should have been, if I'm directing this thing, there should have been him kind of just sitting in a public library, you know, and just kind of figuring some things out, you know, and he's, and he's starting to figure out the music to the last 10 years of his life that has led him to this point. And, you know, and, and then kind of like a, like a, the camera just goes up and then you're into the stage and, you know, and then, and then you show it, show, not tell. In this case, they were like, it's almost like they ran out of film (laughs) and they're like, and then he made tick, tick, boom. Oh, and by the way, then he did rent and everything's fine now, except that he died. And I'm like, well, that feels a little rushed. Like, I I just. So I feel like what you want as the ending feels cliche to me. Okay. I liked that they made this about Tick, Tick, Boom, not about Rent. And I think the reason that Lynn uses. That's what I am saying. I wanted this to be about Tick, Tick, Boom. And it suddenly became about Rent, I feel like, at the end. Yeah, I think he had to include that because it's Mm -hmm. the resolution that people are wanting. They want want it to have. Because a lot of people who watch this won't have any idea that he died. So right. they have no concept of like, oh, that's what we're getting to. We're getting to he never gets the satisfaction of seeing his show on Broadway and mm-hmm. the agony that comes with that. So then I like at this, least the version of it. Then half of this needed to be about Tick Tick Boom, and the other half needed to be about him writing Rent, and it and and it end with him dying. Like, yeah, a, but I don't know that him writing Rent was really all that like interesting and creative of a process i don't know i don't know what that process was like for him and i'm not sure they do either because he never documented that the way that tick tick boom documents everything before rent and i think 20 minutes of a rocky film the the last 10 to 20 minutes of a rocky film is the fight and you're just showing the fight show me show me show me the rent i think it's dangerous for them to try Mm -hmm. and reflectively predict what he did in his writing process of rent because we don't okay. know tick tick okay. boom is is a first person narrative and so right. creating this ver- film version of that is just taking his autobiography and putting it on film 
and rent is sort of like untouchable. I feel like they shouldn't do that because we don't we don't know what the process was. Maybe he wrote the whole musical in his bathtub that's in his kitchen. You know what I mean? Like, or maybe he did write it on a subway or he wrote it in a library or whatever. We don't know that. And so I, I don't mm -hmm. think anybody wants to put like a certain visual to that narrative because sure. they want to respect his process, his creative process, whatever that was. I also I, think the reason that Susan narrates at the end is because mm -hmm. it's bookends on the film because she starts the film narration by introducing mm -hmm. us to Jonathan. And she okay. starts with like everything about it is true. But then she right. kind of has to wrap things up at the end because he can't finish the story himself. I, as a film person, I really hate narration. I don't know if you've watched Dune, not the new one. The new one's fantastic. But the 1984 no. David Lynch Dune, Okay, no. so it's everything wrong with narration in a movie, okay? <laughs> well, you're driving... letting that bitter resent from that impact this. <laughs> oh, am, am I, doctor? Um, yeah. All right. Carrying over. Um, other than that, I, I really, really like the film. Is there anything... It's funny, you sent me a really funny text. It's like, if you don't like this, we can't be friends. No, um, <laughs> we can't. I also, my husband's so going to so, this, but I'm going to so confess on, I'm this wondering, anyway. I'm wondering if there's anything you didn't like about it or you or that didn't work for you. There's nothing I didn't like about it. And what okay. I was going to say is I, there's so much I loved about it that, and I said, my husband's going to listen to this and he's going to hear this confession. So sure. I have this like middle school boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> who I'm still connected with on social media. And like anytime one, and we know each other through like through musical theater stuff. So oh, anytime yeah. like one of us goes to a play, that's like the only time we ever interact with each other, like a picture of the playbill and the other person right. like likes the he, picture or is like, Oh my God, that's so middle, great. Wait, he's currently in so middle school. Sure enough, last night I had seen a couple of his like Instagram stories because he had been in yeah. New York to go see some plays. And I immediately messaged him and I'm like, have you watched Tick, Tick, Boom yet? You have to watch Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm like, <laughs> the movie was so good that I dusted off a middle school boyfriend to have a conversation <laughs> with him. That's okay, how so, good it was. Just to be clear, because I don't want you to end up on a list. He's not currently in middle school. This is the no. guy you knew from middle school. Okay. Yes, this is not going to. Yes, this is a okay. former. All right. Look, well, well, to the Homeland Security person listening to this, I just want to make sure that I got to save you no. from yourself no, here. This, this is a grown man who's my age, who I, gotcha. you know, was a boyfriend in like seventh grade or something. Fair enough. But it was that good. It was good enough to like dust off a conversation with someone that I don't regularly talk to who I knew would appreciate it because he appreciates live theater. Mm -hmm. I just, I think it's meaningful and I think it's, I think it's well done. Which I, I have a yes. I have a, yeah, I have a yes. For the following two films. <laughs> yep. I, uh, yeah. So I have one last question and then we can transition into uh, everybody's talking about Jamie. And it's just having to do with Lin-Manuel Miranda. Did you make uh, Caroline, who is your seven-year-old, eight-year-old daughter, watch uh, Vivo? Nope. We haven't seen it yet. No? Nah, neither have I. Um, I, I keep meaning to watch it with the kids, but uh, just hasn't happened yet. Well, I'll tell yeah, you. Yeah, that it's good, but she doesn't have any real interest, though. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, that's that's right. You're the, the musical theater kid you want to turn into a baseball player. That's exactly right. And a competitive swimmer. <laughs> she has zero interest. She yeah, would rather I, watch women's basketball than a musical. That's what happened with my children and superheroes. They all they went and they never they always go in the directions you don't want them to go into. To be fair, she is like Marvel obsessed, like obsessed, mm -hmm. obsessed. Well, 
Uh, I'll tell you, we, we're sitting here talking about Tick, Tick, Boom, and you thought it was absolutely perfect. I thought the writing of it could have used Grammarly. And Grammarly, these, these are my really exhaustive plugs that I have to do. <laughs> really? So bear with me. I should have warned you. For you listeners of uh, Triple Feature here on the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network, part of W2M, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively, assuming you can't turn a pool into magic notes and whatnot. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, uh, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. Everybody's talking about Jamie, which is a movie that was based on a British musical that is about a 16-year-old boy who becomes a drag queen, which they made a documentary about. So documentary, so real life, documentary, musical, movie, uh, which the other thing about this, which I, which because I'm, I'm a nerdy financial film person, is this was produced by 20th Century Fox, and it came over in the Disney purchase. And they looked at this thing and went, blah. <laughs> like no thank you i'm sure they did and, and sold it and mickey mouse went huh, and threw it over the fence and amazon caught it so uh yes this 20th century uh slash disney thing ended up on amazon prime they couldn't get rid of it fast enough and that is where you can currently watch it, it came out this past september and now you now this one i thought you told me you've actually seen the musical of so I've seen a recording of the West End London production, mm -hmm. which I'm pretty sure was like a pirated recording. So I probably shouldn't admit that either. I am going to end up on some sort of like okay. NSA let me, list. Let me let me teach you. When we talk about pirating, we say yar on here. So, yar, so okay. yeah, you sailed the high seas, matey. I did unintentionally, unintentionally. <laughs> so I had seen the speech production version. Mm -hmm. um, they, I felt like the big group numbers were well done in this film a lot of them are done in the cafeteria i think there's two scenes in the cafeteria and one that ends in the cafeteria two songs mm -hmm. that end in the cafeteria um and that's done beautifully or i think there's two in the cafeteria and one in a classroom um mm -hmm. so those those made the jump from stage to to television screen really well mm -hmm. um I, I would like to know what you think first so let's let's get the plot out of the way. Uh, this one is a oh my god, this plot goes on forever. Screw this. All right, here we go. Uh, so this kid goes to a goes to a private school, and um, he likes to uh, dress up in high heels, and he likes to wear women's clothing. And he and the, the thing is, even at sixteen years old, he knows uh, his, his identity, and he wants to be a drag queen. And this is somewhat in about him trying to find his way to that point and he finds a mentor who is a former drag queen and he gets to perform and this is a culture clash of sorts um he's in a in an environment that is not always accepting of this sort of thing and it's about you know staying true to one's own identity versus having to deal with the people around you who don't accept it there's a teacher whose whole thing is yes but we have this learning to do and please don't be distracting um, and, you know, and then the, the, of course, the counter argument is, but I'm being me and why is me distracting? And that's, and therein lies the drama. We have a neglected, neglectful father who does not accept Jamie the way that he is um, and, and is bailing out on his life. We have a mother who's trying to hold the strands of things together and is, you know, 
covering for the father, which also adds to the drama. Um, this all kind of leads to a point where Jamie, who, who gets to perform as a drag queen um, using the parlance of the film, uh, gets a big head about himself, sort of loses himself in this new identity and sort of forgets that he still has to be a person. Um, and he is roundly criticized for this and he has to sort of pull himself together. He has to, uh, he gets into it with his mother because his mother gets caught lying about the dad. Uh, they eventually make up and then it's all, the whole thing ends with him going to prom and he wants to go to prom in a dress. The school's like, maybe that's not a good idea. You know, you don't, you don't be a clown. Don't be distracting. This is for everybody. This isn't a place for you to be on stage. And again, therein lies the conflict. But the students rally behind him and go, no, he's fine in a dress. It's fine. This is for everybody. We're all wearing dresses. It's fine. Um, there's a bully in this who, you know, stereotypical, you know, drunken father at home. This kid's taking it out on everybody else in the school, including, including the, the Muslim that he's friends with. Um, but they make up at the end, too, and they all live happily ever after. All right. <laughs> that is my rough yeah, synopsis. That's it. You pretty movie. much hit the nail on the head with that one. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> is the film. Yeah. Um, so I like the message of the movie. I like that the character follows a fairly standard arc of I'm searching for an identity. I find an identity. I let that identity uh, rule me and I make terrible interpersonal mistakes. I am roundly chastised for it. I make amends. Um, the people around me accept me for who I am, which is what we should do. And lobster when we're done. Yeah, so, it's, so I think it's funny that you said character arc because that is exactly what I thought when I was watching it. Every single mm -hmm. character follows exactly the path that you expect them to follow. Mm -hmm. So you look at this this story and you think, okay, he is a, a, he's underrepresented sure. and he's going to be the voice to people who really need this voice. Mm -hmm. And then, and part of this is just the story. It's kind of like an, like ever at every turn, I kept being like, oh, of course, like, of <laughs> course, his best friend is female, but also, of course, she's Muslim. Right. And of course, she has a father who's very active in her life and loves her. Right. So that's like right in Jamie's face the whole time. Yeah. And then same thing with his mother. Like his mother is like almost too supportive and dad is like so unsupportive it's like cliche and then like in the writing you see later that his father's remarried and she's having a baby and it's a boy and he literally says to the mother like Jamie doesn't need me anymore I get to start over basically like it it sounds like you're saying the writing for this is a little too on the nose it is it's like let's address every single thing that everybody expects for us to address I mean even the point where it, the it's long by the way, mm -hmm. too long in my opinion, but it's yeah, long. Say, this thing clocks, almost this bored, thing clocks and then Jamie gets beat out of him. I was gonna say this. This thing clocks in at almost exactly two hours. Yeah, it's too long, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And I think you know he gets punched right at the right time. You're like, okay, this is what I expected to have happen. Like he got mm -hmm. he got too high. He got too big for his britches. Somebody's gonna mm -hmm. beat the crap out of him. Oh, okay, great, of course. You know, I don't know. And like the fact that he lives in this little tiny town and he lives in essentially what is public housing. Mm -hmm. He 
has a drag show in his neighborhood that everybody goes to, including the bullies <laughs> who go to then chastise right. him. Like they somehow found him. <laughs> right. But, yeah, that's and that's like this, this, town this, is. this guy who is his mentor who owns this mm-hmm. dress shop just happens to be a former phenomenal drag queen who wants to mentor him, who also just like lives in his neighborhood. Cause he has a whole conversation with his best friend at the beginning of the story where he says, like I can't be a drag queen here. Like I can't, you know, I have to, this isn't San Francisco. And then the whole time I'm like, this is very San Francisco. Like, (laughs) so the other thing is I felt like the music was like dropped in. It's not Mm. interwoven the way that it is in Mamma Mia or in Jagged Little Pill, which I've now referenced too many times. It's just like plopped in. It's like, he adds a pop song here and there or like, you know, the, the mentor guy needs his moment. So he gets his song. And then there's some very long ballads about three fourths of the way through that I feel like lose your attention. And I'm a ballads girl and they Mm -hmm. lost me. And I was like, come on with it. Like, these are like two and a half to three minute and 10 second ballads. Come on. Um, so I didn't hate it. I, I think, I think this might be be fair. I sounded very critical. I didn't really hate it either. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not accusing you of hating it. You're no, you're very fair. I I think, I think you're right on with some of the things you're saying. I think this needed another pass through editing. This, this gives into some indulgences that I feel like maybe another person in the creative process might've said no to if, if they had been consulted, you know, this, this seems like it's a passion project. This is that this obviously speaks to the LGBTQ community, and mm-hmm. kind of like what we were saying earlier on in the show, sometimes because of an agenda or because of a particular theme, people let things pass they wouldn't normally let pass because it's like, uh, I don't want to say no about the gay movie and get yelled at. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. you can have all the indulgences, whatever you need to get the match in the ring. Um, yeah. And it's. And I think I, I found myself kind of thinking that, like, well, mm-hmm. you know, if. if this spoke to someone that I was friends with, I would want them to see this film. Or if this was my child, I would be glad that this film was made for them. Right. Right. And I, I don't feel like that's doing the community justice. Like we, we don't need to make a cliche film about a kid who wants to be a drag queen. Like let's make something meaningful. It doesn't have to be heavy. It's fine to me that the, the movie is light most of the time, but like, can we let's give it some substance. Like let's let the characters be multifaceted. Mom doesn't have mm-hmm. to support him foolishly smiling 100% of the time. You know what I mean? Right. And dad doesn't have to be an outright idiot the whole time. A completely unsavable, you know, uh, uh, you know, unsympathetic character. Like he might as well have been, you know, wearing a crown and a long cape and twirling a mustache, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, I, it was just that. too much. And I just felt kind of insulted by it. I felt like I was like, mm-hmm. oh, come on. Like, we could have done this beautifully and meaningfully and in a way that would make me want to show my daughter and say, like, this is this is the journey and the process that so many mm-hmm. people are going through right now in our society. I didn't feel like that at the end. I didn't feel like it. It didn't. I don't know. It didn't say well, I, anything that every guidance presentation doesn't say. Let's be <laughs> accepting. Let's be I nice to everyone. Don't be the dad figure, be the good guy. You said something before, and I want to come back to it really, really quick um, and just say, I think where we are right now as a society is something like this gets made and nobody wants to, nobody wants to say anything particularly negative about it or say like, oh, maybe this isn't the best way to talk about this particular subject because they're just happy to have the thing in existence. So it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't, um, 
get the critical analysis that it should, you know? And so like, I, which look, prevents I, I, better films right. from being made. You know what I mean? If we're not saying like, well, this is okay, but it's right. not enough. Yeah. It, it, it lends itself to sort of it's a crappy filmmaking in the future where it's just like, well, it doesn't seem to matter what we put on screen because if we just slap LGBTQ on it or we slap, you know, you know, African-American, or if we slap Hispanic, it'll just get accepted because nobody wants to be seen as anti anything. And it's like, no, 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 no. Yep. A crap film is a crap film. And let's talk about why it's crappy. And so the things that you're yeah. saying that it's too on the nose, um, it, it's too predictable. Um, the characters may not be as are a little cliched and not as well developed as they could be to the point where they don't feel like real people. This feels like agenda the movie, you know, or agenda the musical, not yeah. really a, a story that feels authentic. Right. I it's think the valid that they put in high school guidance to teach you about yeah. how to behave at prom. No, I think those are all valid valid criticisms. I will say this. I enjoyed the music. I mean, for what that's worth, um, as just purely a subjective thing, I was grooving. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I, you know, and I certainly, from a, from a very, from about a hundred yards away, you know, a, a story where, you know, a kid, um, you know, overcomes the biases of his community and finds his true self and is able to live, live it and, you know, and make better choices along the way after tripping and falling. It's a nice story. Mm -hmm. Probably could have been executed better, but I still like that kind of a story. I like a story where people. Well, let me ask succeed. you about the music though. You said okay. something about the music. Was there a song in the show that like stuck with you? Or were you just like nodding your head and tapping your foot to the score? Okay. In fairness, I just got off working three 12 hour days and I saw this like no. on. <laughs> no, no, I'm yeah. right. I'm right. You're right. The music what is kills lovely. Me is I'm still, what kills me is I'm but still. The music is, like, I'm is just like the film. There's nothing I'm... about it that is like profound or significant. There's nothing in the music. There's no, even through all those ballads, there's no mm -hmm. like tearful, gut-wrenching. Like the scene in Tick, Tick, Boom, after mm -hmm. Jonathan finds out that his best friend is HIV positive and he sings in the park at the piano is like agony to listen to. I was list I was at work today and I was singing the mamas and the papas. I'm lying if I don't tell you music sticks in my head if it sticks. You know, if there's something that I, that really hooks me, I'll sing it all the time. I'm fighting the urge to sing will you light my candle right now. <laughs> so you're right, Elizabeth. Well, there you're is right. absolutely nothing meaningful in okay. everybody's talking about Jamie. And so, it's a bummer. It's a bummer because it could be because like Kinky Boots is kind mm -hmm. of the Broadway version that is like light and funny, but there's still like good stuff in there that sticks with mm -hmm. people. This just doesn't have it. Okay. All right. You got you got me, Copper. Put the cuffs on. Um I uh all right, let's before we close up then for the night, since I, I feel like we've probably talked about this movie more than anyone has on the internet. Um, <laughs> let us talk about Diana the musical, but before we do, I got to ask you a question. Okay. This is another mm -hmm. plug. Um, <laughs> so what are you listening to these days? You know, are you, are there any bands you're into any musicians, any musicals that you've got going right now on your, uh, on your listening device? Oh man. I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck in the nineties. I listen to a lot of nineties pop. What are you okay. listening to Mark? What am I listening to? Well, I'll tell you, me and, uh, and the people here at the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, we worship at the Church of Poppy. 
And our Christmas show, we do an annual Metal Hammer of Doom Christmas show every year. In the past, we've done Tarja. We've done an eclectic you know, series of different heavy metal music uh, songs, like Twisted Sister and whatnot. We did, we did Heavy Saurus. Do you know what Heavy Saurus is? No. Swedish guys who dress up as dinosaurs and play heavy metal. They have a like, you, you asked me, really? Like, that was rhetorical. Do you know what this is? Correct. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you. Now you 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 decorate a Christmas tree and you 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 uh you celebrate the Christmas holiday. You too could get into heavy saurus if you want to. And do you know where you can find heavy saurus? I don't, but I am waiting with bated breath. Amazonmusic.com. And we are giving away a few. Yeah, it, they're they're all like this. You get used to it after a while. Hey, listen, um, I'm a huge Amazon Music fan. I listen. I was going to tell you that I actually listen. Amazon Music makes something called a My Discovery Mix for me every mm -hmm. week, and it's bomb. Yeah, tell me more about that. But I wasn't sure what you were promoting, so I was like, well, if this is a plug for Spotify, I probably should talk <laughs> on music right before it plugs Spotify. That's right. You are an actual authentic user of the Amazon Music Unlimited service, so you could speak with great detail about how wonderful it is. And then, if uh, and if you want to be like Elizabeth and use the Amazon Music Unlimited service, you can click our link in the description of this podcast at getamazonmusic.com/w2mnetwork. What kinds of things can you do with Amazon Music to make your life full of music? A soundtrack to your life, if you will. Like, can you do playlists and stuff? Yeah. I mean, there, well, you made a joke about a soundtrack, but there is actually a playlist on there that's called My Soundtrack. And then based on what I listen to on a regular basis, it blends some of those songs with other songs together to kind of create mm -hmm. music it thinks I'll want to listen to. That's amazing. See, be really like Elizabeth. Is. Click the link in this podcast and you too can be cool like Elizabeth Faust and can have Amazon Music Unlimited for 30 days for free on us, the Rattledge and Broadcasting Network, W2M. All righty. So this one's a little off the beaten path. This is actually a filmed version of a stage production that they slapped onto Netflix. This is Diana, Diana the Musical. Uh, this was added to the streaming service on October 1st of 2021. And um, uh, let's see, before opening, the Broadway production was recorded in the summer of 2020 with COVID safety protocols in place, no audience. This capture, also directed by Ashley, was released. Okay, sorry, I've already said that part. So this is uh, a two-act musical about the life of Princess Diana of Wales, uh, who, if you watch The Crown, they, they actually introduced her this past season, which we covered here on TV Party Tonight. And I just want to read this to you, Elizabeth. I want to get your reaction to this. Normally, we don't talk about any kind of critical review, especially on here. And we certainly don't talk about it first. But I think this is a great talking point to start with. Um, okay. Jesse Green, chief theater critic for the New York Times, negatively reviewed the production of Broadway's Long Acre Theater, deeming it tawdry and exploitative and writing, if you care about Diana as a human being or dignity or dignity as a concept, you will find this treatment of her life both aesthetically and morally mortifying. It is. Wow. <laughs> so you're a, so uh, you are a fan of the monarchy, yeah? 
So I am, uh, again, mentioned the fact that I was born in 1987. Uh, mm. She was a little before my time. Her children are closer to my age. And my mother is not an enthusiast of the royal family the way that your mother-in-law is. Mm -hmm. So like Melissa and I's connection is more the young royals. In fact, when Prince Harry married Meghan, your wife and your mother-in-law came to my house at like mm -hmm. six o'clock in the morning for tea and scones. I remember. I remember this. So I am an enthusiast. Um, mm -hmm. I am also, you know, I don't know. I, I think there's two sides to every story kind of deal. I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I try to like listen to both perspectives before I make mm -hmm. up my mind. This was like the most awful one-sided. It was like the tabloid version of her life. Mm -hmm. And the writing is so offensive like that that critic who talks about dignity like mm -hmm. the whole scene with what's his name peter hewitt the guy she allegedly had an affair with the redheaded yeah. guy yeah the whole song about him and how oh the rhymes are like so like fifth grade naughty shit people would write on the bathroom wall like <laughs> it is so bad and inappropriate and like they're rhyming like his last name is hewitt with the phrase do it and i'm like we're what are we doing <laughs> what are we yeah. doing yeah so yeah. i think my favorite bits in this are when the paparazzi are, fo are photographing her and they, and they sing say about it. that she's a bitch. <laughs> Did you see that part? Do you remember that part where they were I, like, I just, oh, check I just, out the kindergarten teacher's a bitch. And I'm like, what? I, <laughs> what? I just remember like the song being like, step, step, click, step, step, click, you know, and the flashing lights and everything. I can't, yep. you, I mean, you, you've hung out with my wife certainly many a times. You know the kind of faces that she'll make. She was making the fart face at me every, like every song. Like when she wasn't looking at her phone, trying to get herself distracted from this mess, she would look at me like I punched her in the in, in the uterus. It was, so it was like, awful. yeah, it's, it's so I bad. laugh a lot. I, I might, I, I, in a weird, like, in a weird way, I might have enjoyed this the most out of all three only because I laughed hard at this. So I can't with that because you're the opposite of me. I'm one of those people mm -hmm. that I'm like, I embarrass really easily sure. for other people. Mm -hmm. So like cringe moments, I have to look away. Mm -hmm. Like I can't. And so the whole time I was watching it, I was like, oh God, please, 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 please. please. Like her I'm whole Prince song where she's holding like the fake baby. I was like, please stop, please. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, stop. This, this feels like amateur night in Hicksville, as my theater teacher once said. And it like like this is supposed to be like a big time stage production, you know. And th it this, was. Is, this thing is a big deal, and it's on Netflix for people to enjoy. And it's so bad, you know. I there's a line yes. from I think it was the a criticism of the state, uh, the the sketch comedy show. That it was so bad it should be studied, which my friends and I have stolen and used repeatedly. Uh, this this falls into that category. So bad it should be studied, but like it's almost like if you've ever watched. I don't know if you're into. B movies, you know, like the Roger Corman '70s B movies, or like the old black exploitation Pam Greer kind of You're stuff. Giving um, me too much credit for film depth here, Mark. No, perfect. <laughs> um, so you ever watch a movie that's so bad it's 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 so bad it's good? Like you're just like well, yeah. So I mean, stupid. I do remember like City Slickers from the nineteen like nineties. Mm -hmm. You know, Billy Crystal. Sure, I know the movie, and I know people right. are gonna be like, Those nope, that's not what you're talking like, about. They're so bad, they're good. Mm -hmm. 
like like then like the National Lampoons movies, like you right. know the Van Wilder, something like that, where right. it's awful, but you have a great time watching it because it's so stupid. That's where this landed for me. So just a quick description of it, and then I think we're gonna call it a night. But yeah, the the songs in this are written at like <laughs> one of my friends when we do the Metal Hammer of Doom podcast will put sometimes put the lyrics into word counter and it'll tell you what level reading level they are like the songs what level what the reading level is okay and I, a teacher and, I can get behind that yeah I'll just share it with you we've had some that are written at like college level like a lot of like the progressive heavy metal um rock opera stuff that we tend to listen to this is like um, an emergent like, reader this is like what your wife is teaching yeah, in second grade yeah I was gonna say this is like low elementary school level these songs are written at Bad. um what did you think of the woman who played Diana? She's American. <laughs> I find her offensive. <laughs> I was offended when Mary Poppins was an American. So I'm definitely offended that Diana is an American. Are we talking Julie Andrews here? Or are we talking this last one from a few years ago? No, the girl on Broadway. Oh, okay. Like, wait yeah, minute, the girl like, who Julie played Andrews on Broadway was an American. Okay. Um, from Florida, no less. <laughs> not even like cultured she's not even like a you know a new york native or she's not even mm -hmm. from like you know so did you watch know, the LA crown at all I, I gotta come last thing and then and then we'll, we'll close it up but i gotta compare this to the crown because the crown i've talked about this with andrew graham and david wright on the ep on the four seasons we've reviewed at one time or another and, and even andrew's wife was on one season with us and we talked about how look nobody in the monarchy looks great but at least the show captures the weight of the crown and what it does to people and how it affects you mentally really, really well. So at least you can draw some degree of sympathy about Charles yeah, and about Yeah, it feels Philip. like an honest portrayal. Even if we don't right. know that it is or not, it feels like it. Right. It, no matter, even if you don't love every decision these people have made or how they presented themselves in public, The Crown at least does a great job of giving you a perspective to where at least you can see where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Wow, is this musical utterly devoid of any of that? We were talking before about the father and everybody. everybody's talking about Jamie. The queen in Diana the Musical was freaking Maleficent from Sleeping <laughs> Beauty. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. She was ridiculous. She was so <laughs> ridiculous. So I half expected there to be a scene where she was like throwing like bat's wings and lizard snouts into a, into a cauldron. So bad. <laughs> And uh, and like no dignity at all, no depth at all, like no. nothing. No. These are shitty people who mistreated this goddess sent to us from heaven, essentially, seems to be the perspective of this musical. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, anything else, uh, about Diana the musical before we call it a night? Don't waste your time. <laughs> I'm sorry I made you watch this. Watch Newsies <laughs> on Netflix again, or you know, better yet, watch The Crown. If there you want to know. All right, folks, that is our triple feature on musicals. So this was your first one-on-one -on -one with me here in the old podcast land. I, I now that you've <laughs> now that I've made you do this, you're gonna come back, or is you're like you're gonna get off and you're gonna go tell Ben, like, yeah, that'll be the last time I talk to this asshole. No, for sure. <laughs> that was so fun. You challenged me to, I mean, Tick Tick Boom was on my list, but you challenged me to watch some things I probably wouldn't have watched right away, if at all. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. And yeah. I love right. to talk about theater and film and any excuse to watch movies is, is good. So thank you for including right. me. Yeah. Now you're, as, as everyone says, now you're part of the family, which is kind of like being in the mafia. 
Um, <laughs> so, uh, we will talk offline and we will come up with more uh, ways for you to spend some time with us here in the Rattle Legend Broadcasting Network because I thoroughly enjoyed this. And at least with you, I can talk about something else other than the Batman trailer and Marvel movies. Um, I, although I will gladly talk to you about Marvel movies anytime. Okay. I have lots of theories that I can't get anyone else to listen to, though. I can't tell you how little I want to talk about Marvel movies these days. I, I have <laughs> I'm to. Sure. I'm sure. <laughs> but, um, you know, there's a great there's a great little YouTube channel of this guy and his girlfriend watching all the Marvel movies. I mean, maybe we can adapt that to our own means. It's like Mar Mark and Elizabeth watch the Marvel movies because I can't get my wife to do that shit. So I'm like, trying to convince her. I at least mm -hmm. listen. I've got her. I'm, she's about to start reading Fifty Shades of Grey. So mm -hmm. I'm. I'm getting her there. I'm getting her to Fifty Shades and then the Fifty Shades movies. I'll get her to a Marvel movie eventually. It's an interesting path to Marvel movies through Fifty Shades. It I is. Well, she's last... reading all of these like dark heroes. So eventually okay. I'll convince her that Bucky's a stud and she wants to watch Bucky. Fair enough. All right. Uh, and that, with that said, um, let's get into plugs here tomorrow. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. We begin the long march towards Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, we will be re-airing our on trial for the first Resident Evil movie, and then myself and Sean Comer will be putting the final Resident Evil movie, the final chapter, on trial. Uh, Tuesday, we'll be reviewing the Survivor Series, which is going on as we're recording this. I want you to know that. I gave up watching wrestling tonight for you, Elizabeth Faust, so don't say I don't do nothing for you. Aww, you're my favorite too, Mark. <laughs> That's right. You are my favorite. Um, yeah, so uh, I will get around to watching Survivor Series. I'm sure it'll be crap. And we'll talk. And the Podsmen are back together. The band is back together again. We will be reviewing that uh, Tuesday morning. And then in the evening time, we'll be reviewing Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is all the uh, all the man children's favorite movie. Um, Wednesday, we'll have a re-airing of, of Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, My Life is a Weapon, which was the inspiration for the new Hawkeye series, which actually debuts its first two episodes this Wednesday as we're recording. And then in the evening time, uh, myself, Alexis Haina, and Robert Winfrey will be reviewing the new Bruce Campbell uh, splat stick movie, Black Friday. Uh, Thursday is Thanksgiving. We'll have a re-airing of our review, our first ever turkey we ever did on the Metal Hammer of Doom, Metallica, St. Anger. And then my son, who's in on the act now, we are doing a triple feature. You get this. I don't know what you do with your kid around the house, but we, we do podcasts in this house. My son and I are going to do a triple feature of our own of Clifford the Big Red Dog, uh, Home Sweet Home Alone, and 8-Bit Christmas, which actually comes out on Thanksgiving on HBO Max. So look for my son and I to talk those movies. And then Friday, we've got re-airings of Jesse and Cooper reviewing Celtic Frost, Cold Lake, um, the Live from the Doom Saloons, Volume 2 and Volume 3 by Clutch. And then in the evening time, Doom Saloon Volume 4 goes live by Clutch. Myself and Jesse Starcher will watch the concert and we'll talk about it with you because we can't actually play the music. And then finally, Saturday, uh, we're going live again. It'll be myself and Robert Winfrey. Finally, 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 Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey, Chris Bailey. We'll be getting to Tiafima Lopez versus George Cambosis on DAZN. There you go. Uh, there you go, uh, Elizabeth. You get into boxing. You get to be on more podcasts with me. I need more boxing people. Can I get you into boxing? Don't answer that. I mean, uh, are the guys hot? Some of them. They're definitely shirtless. I, I, can, I can watch shirtless hot guys hit each other. I could get into it. Perfect. I, I, I have ideas now. Um, 
All right. That's uh that's all from me. Check out our re-airings of Zootopia from a few years ago, uh, as Encanto comes out this week. Um, The Martian, because of House of Gucci. And a whole shit ton of TV that we did last week. Lock and Key, uh, Only Murders in the Building, which I haven't watched that yet. It's really good. You should watch it with Ben. Um, Wu-Tang and American Saga, uh, Season 2. All of that. All right, so that's me. What about you? What do you got going on in your world? Boy, I'm ready for... uh a week off teachers are out for the week but in the next coming months my biggest plug is going to be my friends over at the jansen dance project here in tampa they've got greece coming up in the spring and a couple of in-house performances it is really high quality youth theater so if you are a, a lover of the arts and want to be a patron of the arts jansen dance project is the place to go have you ca- have you casted greece yet they have cast greece yes 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 uh, is, is my daughter is, playing a couple of What's that? Is Lily playing Kaniki? She should play. She should play uh, no, Kaniki. Lily is not Kaniki. Oh. <laughs> they have a really good cast, and they have a lot of upperclassmen this year. So, um, a lot of really talented, particularly females, who are seniors this year, who are headed off to um, schools across the country to study musical theater, who are really awesome. So, if you want to see some people before they're on Broadway, and it costs you one hundred and fifty dollars to see them, you can come see them in Greece in February. What if Lily played the racer at the end of Greece? He was like, we're playing for pinks, moron. Pinks, pink slip. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want to see Lily do that line. Uh, there it is. And we'll have her pull off her scarf and, yeah. and wave them to the finish. No, line. no. She can't be the girlfriend. I wanted to be the dude. I wanted to be the guy <laughs> doing the race. But it's 2021, man. Don't be, don't, don't be, don't, don't be uh, stifled by gender roles. Let, let her That's be the right. guy that races, that races That's John Travolta right. at the end of the movie. Yeah. We're playing for pinks. Oh, crater face. You really yeah. just encouraged me to cast your kid as crater face. No. Yes, but that's it's not me casting of... anyway. It's it's the new director, Jacqueline Jansen, oh. who is fantastic. So right, well, you can take it up with her at the next well, rehearsal. Tell, tell her I want Lily to play that role because I want Lily to say we're playing for pinks. <laughs> That'll only be the second Noted. time I've referenced that this week in a completely other conversation. Nice. <laughs> All right. This was great, Elizabeth. I really enjoyed having you here. I can't wait to do this again. This has been Triple Feature. For Elizabeth Faust, I'm Mark Rattledge. Be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>